In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Nineteen sixty three, Birmingham, Alabama. A Christian man, Martin Luther King Junior, from a jail cell, writes these words to a nation uh, caught up in systemic racism. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Remember those words? Letter from a Birmingham jail. 1940s, Soviet Union, a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn in prison, a Soviet labor camp. Uh, He met God there during prison. He left Marxism to become an Eastern Orthodox Christian. And from his prison time, he also gives the world a revolutionary truth, just like Martin Luther King Jr. Listen to Solzhenitsyn's famous quote. The line that separates good and evil, he says, passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Germany, 1940s. A young college lady, Sophie Scholl, along with her brother and some friends, start passing out anti-Nazi propaganda on their university campus, motivated by their deep belief in Jesus Christ. They're captured, sent before a kangaroo court of sorts, and ordered to the guillotine. And at her trial, hours before her death, just like Martin Luther King Jr., just like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Sophie Scholl gives the world another fundamental revolutionary truth. She says, how can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is hardly anyone willing to give up himself for a righteous cause? What does my death matter if through it thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? Today, in Philippians chapter 1, we have in front of us another revolutionary truth teller, himself in jail, persecuted by Nero. And he drops a truth bomb that you could say really underlies everything Martin Luther King Jr. did, everything Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, and everything Sophie Scholl and her compadres lived for. He says this, to sum up the meaning of life and death for Christians. To me, Paul says, living is what? To me, living is what? Christ. And dying is what? Gain. Jason 
Bazard from California, a, a pastor in Silicon Valley says, every single religion, every worldview, every philosophy has to answer two questions. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of death? So Buddhism says it this way, to live is to achieve good karma and to die is to hope for a better reincarnation. Islam says it this way, to live is to obey Allah and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then death achieves you a personal paradise. Silicon Valley says it this way, to live is to be successful, to live is self, and to die is just to lose. Christianity says it this way, to live is to know and love and serve Jesus Christ in this world, and to die is to know and to love and to serve him in the next. What a different outlook on life. Today, brothers and sisters, in our Philippians passage, God's word teaches us the meaning of life and death. Pretty simple, really, right? Simple, simple stuff today. The meaning of life, the meaning of death. We're going to apply this in a few moments to perhaps some individual circumstances But before we do, let me give you two observations on Paul's words here about the meaning of life and death, which is Jesus Christ. Here's the first observation. If you embrace this idea, if you embrace this lifestyle, if you embrace this worldview, this philosophy, this faith, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, first of all, suffering and death, human suffering and human death is forever transformed. Think about Paul's text. Just like Martin Luther King Jr., just like Scholl, just like Solzhenitsyn, Paul writes from jail, from a place of suffering. That is, he is weak and tired, confused, probably scared, alone. Paul knows that in the coming days, his death is most likely imminent. And it's in this context of suffering that the apostle writes. But get this, the theme of Philippians is not suffering. Scholars agree the theme of Philippians is joy. The theme of the letter to the church at Philippi is joy, Christian joy. Joy, rejoice, gladness, words like these are used 15 times in this very short letter. So put these concepts together. How is it that Paul, writing from a place of suffering, can write a letter whose theme is joy? If you're new to the Christian faith, uh, you may be asking, how is that so? How can that be? That doesn't even make any sense. Um, Perhaps Christians are just uh, too up in the clouds, not realistic about the pain of suffering and death. But I don't think that's the case. You see, a distinguishing mark of Christians who believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain, a distinguishing mark of their lives is that we find joy not in spite of suffering, not in place of suffering, but in the midst of suffering. Did you get that? Like Paul, like Jesus, like Solzhenitsyn, like Scholl, like Martin Luther King Jr., we find joy not in place of suffering, 
Not in spite of suffering, but in the midst of suffering. Why is that so? Because in the midst of suffering is where God went to rescue us. In the midst of your suffering, whatever it may be today, can I ask you, have you found God yet? He is there. It's not for, uh, to use a double negative, nothing that God gives the world this image of himself, a cross. When the world thinks of the Christian God, the world thinks of a man hanging on a cross. God knows your suffering. Find God in your suffering. And like Paul, you will find joy. Remember earlier this year in in the summer, we talked about Romans. You're already dead as a Christian. You have died to Christ, Paul said. You have died to Christ. What can suffering and physical death do to you? So for the Christian, first observation about embracing to live as Christ, to die as gain, death and suffering are forever transformed into joy. Death and suffering are transformed, transformed into joy. Here's the second observation. It's not just death that's transformed, it's life. Christians aren't just people waiting around to die, to be taken out of this miserable world. That's not how Christians live. Listen to how author Frederick Buechner puts it. I discovered, he says, that if you really keep your eye peeled to it and your ears open, If you really pay attention to it, even your limited life can open up onto an extraordinary vista. Taking your children to school and kissing your wife goodbye, eating lunch with a friend, trying to do a decent day's work, hearing the rain patter against the window, there is no event so commonplace, Buechner writes, but that God is present within it, always hiddenly, always leaving you room to recognize him or not to recognize him, but all the more fascinatingly because of that. Listen to your life, he says. Listen to your transformed life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness, touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it because in the last analysis, All moments of Christian life are key moments. And life itself, he says, is grace. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters in the faith talk about grace like this. It's the presence of God. Wherever you find grace, it's the energy of God. It's the presence of God. Where you see grace, where you experience grace, you are experiencing God himself alive in this world. So it's not just death that gets transformed for Christians, but life. How does this look in Paul's text here in chapter 1? He chooses life. Did you get that? He weighs his options in jail. Well, I could be lifted up out of my suffering, which would be great, because I'll see Jesus. Or I could stay here harder, and it would be to serve you all, the Philippian church. He says, I'm compelled. I know I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay to give my life to others. Every moment is a key moment for Christians in life. Every moment is a possibility for grace. Where are you bored Monday through Friday? Somewhere in the boredom, God is there. Find him. 
That's what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. Death is transformed, suffering is transformed, life is transformed. So let's try to apply this. In all the various places of our lives, all those gathered here from various corners of work and relationships, um, emotional places, for what are you living? Why are you here? For what are you dying? For what will you die? Because we will. For what are you living? For what are you dying? I'm guessing there are a few of us here, I'm guessing this as a pastor and as a therapist, there are a few of us here who probably have wanted to give up. I mean, literally, end our lives. Do you hear the whisper of God from Philippians 1 through Paul? He says to you, I'll tell you why you're here. You're here to know the joy of following Jesus Christ. Yes, dear one, even in the midst of your greatest isolation and your darkest night. That's why you're here. Don't give up. Jesus loves you. I think of businessmen and businesswomen here who know after a life of pursuing these things that Uh, success is not that great, wealth is not that satisfying, and accolades last only for a moment. I wonder if you hear God saying to you through Philippians 1, dear one, there is no success like dying to self and rising to Jesus Christ to spend your life on everybody else. There is no accolade like being called my son or my daughter because I made everything that there is. And there is no wealth as great as the treasure of heaven. I think of single men and women. I think of married men and women, all of whom, to one degree or another, personal relationships have failed them, right? The single folks are looking for a relationship that will fill them up. The married folks or the folks who have found a partner, they they already know that's not going to happen. And the result is we're all lonely. We're all a little lonely. In marriage, in singleness, our heart is aching because no relationship really does does what it takes to fill us up. So can you hear God speaking to you through Philippians 1. Find me in the loneliness of your singleness, in the loneliness of your marriage. Walk with me up to Calvary because there I will die to show you a love that you've never experienced and can't find on this earth. To live as Christ and to die as gain. I think of medical professionals and lawyers and government workers and teachers, all of whom just want to lessen human suffering, right? To help the common good. God whispers to you in Philippians 1 this morning these words, death is inevitable, doctors. Earthly justice is rare, lawyers. Human knowledge can't stop hatred, teachers. But my son, Jesus Christ, has secured all of these things with his death and resurrection. So live for him. 
He loves humanity even more than you do. To live as Christ and to die as gain. What, what part of the human story do you come from this morning? Where do you most doubt that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Paul writes a revolutionary fundamental truth from a jail cell, the likes of which we've heard from Christians all through history. But his words, his words, give ballast to them all. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen.